Praise the Lord that we can be here today. As you know, this is a special day for us as a church family. It's our last Sunday here. It's a a bittersweet. Some of you might only think sweet, but bittersweet. These are precious memories here, aren't they? And many things have been accomplished in this building, and we're very thankful to have been here, very thankful for the school board that made this possible for really what's been 12 years, 10 formally, but we're very thankful. But this is a special day for us. We have affirmed three men to the office and role of an elder, Charlie, Dom, and Shay. We had a wonderful day examining these men last Sunday afternoon for three hours, and it was a a joyous day. And I think a keeper in my own soul to hear the hearts biblically in precision and then pastorally in their connection with our body. It was an unforgettable day, and many of you had, or some of you had been part of that. But today is the public affirmation of these men to serve as an elder for our church family. We have examined these men We have trained them, accounting all the other training that they had as well, but we have prayed for them, we have loved them, and we are today, as an elder board, unanimously affirming these men before you. I want you to know, when you make a decision like that, these are unanimous decisions of the elder board for these men. They have been tested, according to 1 Timothy 3.10, trained, they are gifted, and they are qualified to serve the elder team. Charlie and Drina, and Charlie in this case specifically, has been with us nearly three years. Um, We have known Charlie for a little while, and then backing up even before that, Shay has been tested with us for two years, and Dom is coming up on two years. As we submitted their names to you as a congregation, which we would always do, both with our deacons, our deaconesses, and our elders, looking for feedback from you, all of it was so positive. One of the questions we got is, are these men young? Are these men young? And my answer last Sunday is no, their life is half over, okay? I just want you to know that. Charlie is 40, Dom is 40, I'm not sure what we're waiting for. I, I want to be really honest with you. The, the, I mean, life is moving, and our church needs shepherds. No, they're, they're not too young. Shay is 33, he's the age of Jesus. So, <laughs> so I was thinking a lot about that, and I'm thinking... Uh, You know, and that's not a wrong question. You can ask that. But I thought Daniel was a teenager taking on the king. And I just want you to know, whatever you think of an elder, there's a maturity by way of experience there. I understand that. But we have old guys like me and Dave Jackson. I'm going to put Andy Muxlow as an old guy. He's over 40. Um, And Scott Booker and Tom Rios. So we are thrilled to have these men. Shay is the youngest, but he's not the shortest, and I want you to know that. Um, I also want to say thank you to you. As a body of believers, 
for your careful input on these men's lives. I want to say to you publicly that you have loved them as you have loved Patty and I. And I just want you to know that I've never been part of ministry in 30 years where I've seen the love of our flock towards our staff and elder board as you have exhibited. I I just want you to know that. We're in this thing together. So we're going to unanimously, as an elder board, affirm that. But we're, we're doing that alongside of you. You have taken them in, as you have Patty and I, and you have loved them. If you could have witnessed last week at the examination, they wept at the examination because of your love and support and care for them. It was one of the, I I don't, I've never encountered an elder examination time that ended up in tears because of your love to them. I just want you to know how far that goes. You see me up here. You see these men up here. You have no idea how much that means to a board and to an elder team and to a staff, your love. David Jackson read earlier, you know, that we give an account and it says for your role to let let this be a joy and not a burden. I just want you to know you've made it a, a joy and not a burden. I pray that that continues with us. And I also want to tell you, thank you for you loving them, but I want you to know as a flock, these men love you. These men weep over you on all sides of what that means. And it is their joy to serve you. And I want you to know I'm so grateful to God for the 10 elders that serve at GCV. And I just want you to pray for our unity, for our clarity, and for our humility with one another. You say, well, Scott, um, certainly there's an explanation for the church, strong leadership here. Listen, I don't know if I have an explanation. This is a work of the Spirit of God. And so we praise Him, but would you pray for us? I just never want a wedge to ever get amongst our body, amongst our leadership. But I also want you to know as a church what's taking place biblically today. And my desire is that God's word would speak directly to us as a congregation. And then I want to speak directly to them on this historic day for our church family. I mean, the truth is, and you've heard this before, Everything rises and falls with what? Leadership. I mean, there's things, God's going to use things, but it rises and falls with, I I would venture to say, spirit-filled, humble, servant leadership. And I just want you to know that the Lord has left us with very careful instructions regarding church leadership. I want you to take that Bible this morning, maybe if it's briefly, open to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I want to come back to that classic passage on the qualifications, calling, passion of those who are elders. 
Now, I opened this text to you a year ago, but I want to come back to it, and I want to expand more on the principles that we affirmed last year, and as we affirmed Dom, Shay, and Charlie for, for us this morning, okay? Now, Paul, as you open to here to the book of Timothy, he left Timothy in Ephesus for two main reasons, okay? He left him there. This is a, you're opening your Bible to a book of the Bible here. Uh, uh, we call this a pastoral epistle. And he left him there for two reasons. I mean, I, I think I'm pausing. It's nowhere in my notes as to what those reasons would be in the minds of some today. Um, there seems to be no end of things that come out when you're just on the web and looking and looking at churches and emails come to you. But biblically, which is interesting, you know, when you go back to the word of God, farmers and businessmen and businesswomen, they have to keep ever changing and expanding arena to stay relevant, if you will. And the church in some sense needs to as well. But what's unique about the church is you come back to its historical roots and its biblical roots, and that's the the desire of our elder board. So he left them, Timothy, in Ephesus for two reasons. Number one, it should shock us because you don't hear it today, to stand against false teachers. You say, really, Scott? Yeah, really. He says, Timothy, I'm instructing you at the church at Ephesus. I want you, number one, to stand against false teachers. In fact, look at 1.3. He opens the book up in 1 Timothy chapter 1.3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. (laughs) I left you there. I don't want, Paul says, any different doctrine than the one that I've laid down. Now, to me, I can just stop there. I don't, I don't want to venture too far off. I don't think that's the, the chemistry of many churches today. I think they compromise the truth on the altar of acceptability. But Paul says, Timothy, I'm leaving you there so that there, these false teachers with their false doctrine wouldn't devastate the church. In fact, look at 1.4 nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Boy, that needs to be heard today. Myths and endless genealogies, they're promoting speculation. Most young people leaving high school ministry, going to college, have no idea what they believe. Because so much is speculation. Look at verse 6. He said certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion. Listen, I every week of my pastoral ministry, I hear vain discussion regarding the truthfulness of the word of God. Regarding the whole issue of gender equality and on it goes. So here they were to stand against false teachers. Look at verse 7. They desire, speaking of these false teachers, to be teachers of the law without understanding either with what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. 
And on it goes. If you glance down at verse 20, it says, Among them who are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may, not le- that they may learn not to blaspheme. So, number one, I left you there, Timothy, to stand against false teachers. That's, in one sense, what eldering is about. It's not the only thing. Number two, the flip side of this, the second reason he left them in Ephesus was to teach sound doctrine. Okay? Sound doctrine. In fact, you can see it in 1.10. He speaks there of the sexually immoral. He says, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and here's the phrase, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So, beloved, there is a false doctrine that's unhealthy teaching, not based on the Scripture, but one of the reasons Timothy and the elders are to be there is to promote, as it says there, sound doctrine. They're promoting whatever else is contrary. In fact, the word for sound there is the Greek word hygieno, which you understand we get our word hygiene from it. There's doctrine that's healthy. That's sound doctrine. It's, it, it changes lives. That's why if you come into this building and we're singing at the top of our lungs, we're affirming what God Almighty is doing through his word in our spirit. And when you begin to walk with the Lord, it leads to sound, healthy doctrine. But the false teachers teach wrong doctrine. In fact, that sound doctrine, if you look, just you saw it there, contrary to sound doctrine, look at positively, verse 11, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. He speaks there of the gospel, the glorious gospel. In verse 15, if you look down in one, this saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. And so he was left to stand against false doctrine, to stand to teach sound doctrine. You know, just a, a word, I, I want to be careful here, but I think most pastors and elders want to be cool. I think they want to be hip. I think they want to dress a certain way. I think they want to talk a certain way. I think they want their music a certain way. I think they want the culture of their church a certain way. And listen, I just, we want you to know that you're precious to us. And so when we put these men before you, we want to stand against false teachers. And secondly, we want to teach sound doctrine. Now, as your Bible's open, there's one key to all of the book of 1 Timothy. Sometimes it's hard to find that one key. Not in this book. Look over in chapter 3. He says here very clearly, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you. Now you see this? So that, and here's the purpose clause, that if I delay, you may know how one ought to conduct or how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. In other words, he's left us instructions Brethren, I'm telling you how someone ought to behave in the church of God, which is the church of the living God, and it's the pillar and the buttress of the what? Of the truth. I don't don't know if that passes today. Truth. I think we want other things. I think we want something other than what we're affirming in these 
in these three men. And so there's the mandate. There is the mandate. Now, to fulfill this mandate, beloved, you need qualified godly leaders. If that's the purpose stated in 3, 14 and 15, then in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, are the instructions for the church leaders. And the question would be asked, what does God say, his words say, to those who are elders, to those who are deacons, and to those who are deaconesses? Now, my focus today is I want to just bring you back to that opening statement there found in 3.1. Look there. He said, the saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer He desires a noble task. Now, just stop there just for a second. He says, the saying is trustworthy. Maybe in another translation, it says, this is a trustworthy statement. And the statement, it means, this is sure, is what it means. This is to be believed, is the thought here in Scripture. You can trust this statement. It is a sure statement. It is a rock-solid statement. It's more solid, if you will, than the rock at Morro Bay, okay? In other words, that thing's firm. That thing's not going anywhere. This saying is one of the trustworthy statements in Scripture, and those are incredible statements. In fact, there's only five of them, but look back. Was your Bible still there in First Timothy 1.15? You remember I read it already. This saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. What a statement. You say, well, Scott, here in 1 Timothy 3.1, what's the trustworthy statement? Look again. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires, it says, a noble task. This is a statement of great importance. Now, what I want to do just briefly is direct our time them out of this text to five biblical essentials of an elder. It reveals God's word to these men, first and foremost, and then it informs you as to the Scripture's teaching regarding the role of an elder in God's flock, okay? Let me just touch on these five essentials. Number one, here's the first essential, is the prerequisite of an elder. The prerequisite of an elder. Now, you look in your Bible, you'll note ESV, mine says... It says, if anyone, if anyone aspires. Now, that's just the ESV translation. The NASB says, if any man, okay? If any man. Now, you say, well, uh, ESV just translates translates it, anyone. You say, what is it, Scott? Well, it's masculine, the language. In other words, the prerequisite of an elder, just honest to you from the scripture, is limited to a man. You say, well, ESV, do they pick it back up? Sure. Look at verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, what's the next word? He desires a noble task. The word beloved on even any one is a masculine gender. Okay, in addition, all the descriptive phrases, listen, in three, two through six are in masculine form. 
it would only make sense if you look back in chapter 2 and the role of the women was seen in chapter 2, 9 through 15. It's natural to see the role of a man. It must be a man. That's what the text says. That's what the text means. The prerequisite of an elder is that he's a man. So I just want you to know, Dom, Charlie, and Shay, church family, were fulfilling the scripture today on that. So, well, uh, why are you doing what you're doing? Well, this is why. Let, let me just make a few comments. I don't want to get too strong here. But there's no place, no place in the entire Old Testament where a woman had an ongoing prophetic ministry. There's no place in the Old Testament where a priest was a woman. Okay? Just, I'll say it quietly. In the New Testament, there is nowhere where a woman is identified as a pastor or an elder. Okay? GCV, let me just say this. In no way, listen, in no way, three times, in no way, okay, is a woman inferior to a man. They have a different role than the man in God's church. They are equal in privilege. They are equal in spiritual capacity in every way. In fact, to be honest, in some cases, women are more, infect, more effective in their usefulness and even in their desire for the Lord. However, when it comes to the elders in the church, God has reserved that for men. So I just want you to know, we today are being biblical in what we're doing. And I thank God that he raised you up, Dom. I thank God that he raised you up, Shay. I thank God that he raised you up, Charlie. You are a gift to our church, a gift to our church, a gift to our church to equip this body to maturity according to Ephesians 4.11. That's the first essential. I hope I didn't throw anybody way off on that one if you're visiting. But that's what the Bible says. So that's why when the NASB translated, it actually says, if any man. Certainly the ESV says he desires a noble task. When it talks there in later regarding his family, when it talks about how he must be above reproach, and it says in 3.2, the husband of one wife, we're dealing with a man. And I think you see that. But there's a second essential is the passion of an elder. The passion of an elder. And I touched on this before. But you remember, he, he makes two statements there. If you see it in three one, he talks about if anyone aspires. Then later in verse 1, he uses a second word. He desires a noble task. So you've got the passion of an elder. He's got to be a man, but then his passion is, he's, he's got to aspire. This is a wonderful Wonderful word. It means to long after is what it means. It means to stretch out. It means to grasp something with, with the object in mind. That is what the word aspires mean. It literally means, do you ever hear that statement? Boy, they went after that. That's what this phrase means. In other words, the heart, the passion of an elder is he set his heart on it. He's going after something, is the thought. So in other words, beloved, biblically, the man before us is passionate about the work. He's passionate about the reputation of God. He's got a zeal, if you will, 
for the house of God. You can't keep this man back. That's the thoughts. But he's not just aspiring. That's the word orego. Don't think of a spice, but it's close. But he also, look there in three one desires a noble task. And I think I've shared that with you before. The word desire speaks of a, of, how would I say it? it? Biblically, it's just a strong desire is what the word means. In fact, and I have to make sense of this to you, it's the word for lust. Remember when Paul told Timothy to flee youthful, what? Lust. He said, I want you to run from these renegade desires, I would call it. These fleshly desires, but not here. This is a holy desire, which is interesting. Not every, it's okay, if you will, if you're desiring the right thing. So you got a man who's aspiring, reaching out after, grasping, if you will, and then the passion of his heart is not for his own glory, not in a sinful manner, but he's desiring a noble task. So here the passion of eldership is the passion. You say, what is it, Scott? It's a passion for the things of God to be done right. That's what it means. I, I, I mean, I, I want to be practical with you. You're not content with a mediocre body of Christ. You, you, you want things to be done right. You want God's glory And so when you take these two words, aspire, desire, taken together, they describe the passion of a man called to an elder. And let me just make sure I say this. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can do this, okay? The Holy Spirit lays a burden on a man's heart to take up this important work. In other words, you don't, beloved, make a man an elder by voting him into the office. The, the guy, in other words, you don't just say, hey, uh, my turn is up, it's your turn. Or I like to say, I did my time at San Quentin, okay? Or I did my time at Corcoran. I served my three, not this guy. This, this is a passion. You're looking for that. I, listen, I told you before, I would never want to talk a man into spiritual leadership. And it must be an all-consuming passion for the work. That's the thought here. In looking for a man to be an elder, you always ask, is he desirous of serving? You have to ferret that out a little bit if it's wise for him to serve. But is he longing after the office? You, you say, well, Scott, what, I'm, just, I'm not going to be an elder. I'm a, I'm a woman. I'm a mom. Will you pray for these men? You pray for our board? Will you pray that God raises up future men? You say, why would we need to raise up future men? Number one, to stand against false teachers. And number two, to teach healthy doctrine. So I ask, is he longing for the office? And then you have to make sure he's verified. Let me just throw this in real quick. It's not enough for a man to have a subjective passion, okay? He's got to be objectively qualified, 1 Timothy 3, 2 through 6. MacArthur said this, speaking of that passion, it is a spirit generation compulsion to ministry. It can, he said this, it can hardly be analyzed. 
He said, it is not a question of analyzing all of my talents on a personality profile. It is a question of a compulsion to be a man of God. And GCV, I just want you to know, these men are passionate about serving you. I have no question, we as an elder team, have no question on you, Dom. No question, Shay. No question, Charlie. This is what they have longed for. And so we're going to train them. And by the way, you know, I, maybe I can say this. When we took in Dom and we took in Shay, and for that matter, Charlie, your role was a little different. People said, listen, how come Dom and Shay aren't elders? <clears throat> I mean, well, they came to us, but just understand they had never been elders before. So we brought them on and you say, well, that's Pastor Dom and that's Pastor Shay. Scott, this is just uh, semantics. I'm going to call him pastor. No, listen, we called him director because we wanted to examine them, okay? And we wanted to test some of these areas. And boy, I'll tell you, after a few years, well, they're so ready and they love you and uh, there's no question on these men. It's not easy to do that. But we wanted to make sure that we had some time with them. We wanted to make sure that you got some time with them. We wanted to make sure that they grew in their love for the body. And so here it is, the prerequisite, the passion. Thirdly, the position of an elder. This is important. The position of an elder. You'll notice it says in 1 Timothy 3.1, if anyone aspires, do you see what it says? To the office of an overseer. Now, I probably should just say there's two offices in the church. There's the role of elders and there's the role of deacons and we have deaconesses. Those are the offices of a church. Some churches say, well, we're not really concerned about elders and we're planting this church. I'm like, what? Well, we just want to love Jesus. I'm like, what? We just want to love them. I'm like, uh, so do I, but come on. And so uh, my, my point is, there's a rhyme to what we're doing, and we're not, we're, it's not like we're smart. I, what does it say here? If anyone desires to the office of an overseer. Now, I, I want to share something with you. That word overseer, this is going to be a little bit of a lesson, comes from episkopos is the word. Epi means to over. And it comes from another word called scotea, scoteo, and it means to watch and to look. So when you put them together, this is somebody who's a watcher. This is somebody who looks over the flock. This is someone who cares for the flock. This is someone who oversees, as we've mentioned earlier, the souls that are entrusted to them. It's the office of an overseer. We just did that today. I mean, Dom... We just laid hands on you, brother. So what was once a desire now is a reality. Shay, we laid hands on you. Charlie, we laid hands on you. You become with us part of the, the brotherhood of the elders who are entrusted to the souls of people. Now, I want you to know in the New Testament, there are three words that are used interchangeably to describe the same office. Sometimes in the Bible, it's called overseer. You can see it here. Sometimes in the body, or excuse me, in the Bible, it's called elder, okay? Sometimes in the body, it's called pastor or slash shepherd. 
for the sake of a term, we just sometimes say elders here, okay? But all three of those words are used interchangeably. Let me just show you for a second. You don't have to always know this, but I just, I want to tell these men this. But it says there in three one, if anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he uses the word episkopos there. In other words, he's an overseer. It means to watch over. Look over just a couple chapters in 1 Timothy chapter 5 in verse 17 where it says, let the elders, do you see that, who rule well, which is a fabulous statement, but the elders there, that's not episkopos, that's presbuteros. You say, well, Scott, what's the difference? There is no difference. It's just describing three different terms. It's describing the same office, and they're used interchangeably to describe that same office. If you will, look over. I think this comes up next slide in Acts. Maybe I won't turn you there. In Acts chapter 20, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders. He called, just the Greek word is presbuteros. He called the elders of the church to come to him. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Then he uses the word to episkopos. And then he says to care for the church of God, poimino. In other words, all three of those words are used interchangeably to describe the same office. Go to the book of Titus. I think this is coming up. That is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders, presbuteros, in every town as I directed you. And then he comes right back in Titus 1.7, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. Again, they're just used interchangeably. Look at the next slide in 1 Peter 5. You've got all three of them. I exhort the elders. He's speaking there of the presbuteros among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd... There's another term, poimino, the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. That should be the word episkopos, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful game, but eagerly. And so you begin to see all these words are used interchangeably, and there's so much there. That's what these men will be doing. You say, what exactly do they do? Well, in Acts 15.22, they set church policy. They're watching over the flock. Acts 20.28 says that they shepherd the flock. They guard the flock. They guide the flock. They feed the flock. That's why they need to be qualified men. Um, It says in 1 Timothy 5.17, they rule over the church. They do this by leading and by feeding Titus 1.9, they refute those who contradict. 1 Peter 5.2, they set an example in their, only life, in, their, in, their, in their life as an example. They pray for the church, obviously. In James 5.14, they equip the saints. There's so much more there. But there's a fourth essential. Let me finish this up rather quickly here. Is the practice of an elder. It's there. He desires, it says in 3.1, here's the fourth essential, He desires a noble task. In other words, the practice, the fourth essential of an elder is it's a task. The the word just means it's a work. In other words, eldering is work. You're not up to be just um, um, somebody up front. You're not somebody to take... the glory. You are, if you will, set apart for a task. Paul used the word in, 
it, it actually the, the Holy Spirit in Acts 13, 2, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them. Here it is, a work. And this is what these men, this is what we do. We work, whether paid or unpaid, elders work and are committed to that work uh, for the life of the church. And we're to esteem them is what the Bible says to you. It requires zeal. It requires effort, if you will. And it will cost you. And I would just say to you, three, you have no idea how much this will cost you going forward. And as you do, the Lord will give you that great joy, but it's, it's, it's not easy work. It's hard work. It is relentless work, but it is a joyous work. And I know you do that willingly and not under compulsion. And then there's just a final one. I just show it to you there. It says that he desires, do you see the word, a noble task. And here's the sweetness of it. And now, I just want to share this. It's probably what I really wanted to get across today. All of that was just for free for me to say this. The privilege of being an elder is it's a noble task. And noble is the word kalos. It's just the word, it means beautiful. It just means this is an honorable work. This, Dom, Shay, and Charlie, though it will, it, it will cost you everything, is a noble work. And I just want you to know that God esteems it. And you know that. And I'm sharing that with you young men. It is a noble work and, and it's a noble office. It's an honorable task. It carries certainly eternal perspective. You care for others. You see people come to Christ. You're involved in the transformation of people's lives. And I think it's just noble. I think, I don't want to understate this. I think it's just noble because he purchased the church with his own, what? His blood. Shay said it today, and I always say it. If you cut me, I'm going to bleed local church. I've been offered other positions in parachurch ministry, which are wonderful, wonderful. But God made me a churchman, and he's given us these three men that are churchmen. And I just want to say to you, Charlie, Dom, and Shay, it's a noble task simply for the profound reason that Jesus died for it. He shed his own blood for it, and it's worth every moment. You know, I sat down on Tuesday night. Uh, we were just running around as a staff. These are busy but really fun days. Um, actually, Tuesday, I walked. I walked this place called the Ag Show. Have you ever been there? I think the Transformers from the movies are there. And Dom and I, we thought we saw Decepticons and all that stuff. Um, I was blown away, but I was, we were walking, you know, and then I sat down uh, for a meal on Tuesday. I think it was just Patty and I, the girls are at practice, and I'm watching the Winter Olympics, and I'm watching this guy with red hair named Sean White pirouette through the air to win this thing called the gold medal. I said, Patty, he just did, I I don't even know if I'm saying it right, a 1420. She says, what's that? I said, well, that, I know one time is 360. I know that two times is a 720. The third one, I've lost track of my count, but he did a double, I think it was a 1420 
And he's now become a legend. At, he was a legend before, some would say, at the half pipe on a snowboard. Okay? And I don't want to take away from that. But I just want you three to know what you're doing today before us. That pales in insignificance in God's mind. And that goes to the wives as well, to you to free your men up. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. We serve the Lord for what is imperishable. There may be few who know the uniqueness of your calling and the sacrifice of your calling, but I just want you to know the Lord does. And I want you to know, family, that he calls this a noble task. Listen, for some of you young men, not all of you, I just want you to know this is a noble task. It's a noble task. That's what the Bible says. It's a beautiful work. It's an excellent work. It's a wonderful work. Cotton Mather, I love this, who was an old Puritan, he said the office of a Christian leader is the most honorable and important that any man in the whole world could ever sustain, and it will be the wonder, one of the wonders and employments of eternity. He said, consider the reasons why. God has assigned the office to imperfect That's us, guilty men. The great design and intention of the office of the Christian preacher is to restore the throne and dominion of God and the souls of men, to display in the most lively colors and proclaim the clearest language, the wonderful perfections, offices, and grace of the Son of God, and to attract the souls of men into a state of everlasting friendship with him. Mather went on, it is a work that an angel might wish for as an honor to his character. Yea, an office that every angel in heaven might covet to be employed in for a thousand years to come. That's true. It is such an honorable office that if a man be put into it by God and made faithful and successful through life, he may look down with disdain upon a crown and shed a tear of pity on the brightest monarch on earth earth. Men, I just want to tell you it's a noble task. Body esteemed these men. Love them for their work. But listen, we're, we're ready to get rolling here, right? Woodrow Wilson, I, I love this quote. I shared it last time, but he was, you say that name, he's the 28th president of the United States, was asked as he left the presidency what the greatest honor had been in his life. And here was an answer. He said, the greatest honor and privilege in my life was to be an elder in my church. That's what the president said. Listen, the subjective desire of a man's calling, his passion, must be matched with those objective qualities. And uh, I I think we're out of time here. They follow in three, two through seven. And the overarching quality of these men for us needs to be, look at verse two. It says there that he must be, an overseer must be, it says there, above reproach. And so, beloved, the noble task demands a noble character, and he needs to be above reproach, free from accusation. He needs to be a blameless man. I've said it before, he needs to be a Teflon man. Nothing sticks in his life. In other words, you can't grab a hold of this man. He's got no blot in his character. He's stole nothing from anybody. He's been pure and holy. It doesn't mean that he's perfect, but he's, he's above reproach. He's, he's free from accusation. He's not sinless, but he's sustained a reputation of blamelessness. You know, just, I'm done here. 
you know, the qualifications that follow have nothing to do with education, have nothing to do with gifts, unless one, he's able to teach. But relatively nothing is said about that. Nothing to do with worldly success. Nothing to do with charisma. But the character is what Paul highlights that this man must be, that he must be without blemish. And so listen, how do you respond today? How do you dads respond? How do you grandparents respond? How do you students respond? How do you mamas respond? By the way, I think Rachel Ice is is getting ready to have a baby here. I'm just, there's so many babies coming in our church. I found that out today. Let me say this to you. Not all of you are called to this, and that's okay. Not everybody's an elder, but here's what an elder should be. And if you're not an elder and you say, Scott, I'd never want to teach or I'd never want to be responsible for false teaching, well, that's okay. Then, then serve with us and be a deacon. I'm not trying to make this the elite position. You could be a man of God and not be an elder, okay? And I, and I mean that genuinely from my heart. I think all men should have this character, okay? And all men and women should be serving, but not all men are called to be an elder. But would you do this? Would you pray for us, okay? Would you pray for the elders who do serve you? Would you pray that God raises up in the future, future men for this place? Pray with us. And let me just say this, <laughs> and I don't mean this is, an, this is an understatement. Can we rejoice today as a church? God just added to our team in an amazing way. And I just want you to know that that just thrills my heart and we could rejoice. But listen, some of you men, let me just say, I don't know if he would have this for you, but something to pray over and, and work through and get involved with. But if you're never this man, it's okay. Not everybody's an elder. Don't, don't feel in any way guilty. But I do want you to know this, and I probably I, I hesitated putting this in. Nothing's guaranteed. And here's what I mean. Paul said, the church he pastored, that I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. they're not coming from the outside. He said, they're going to come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from, he said, your own selves, men will arise speaking twisted things to drag away and to draw away the disciples. And so we're ever watchful and vigilant. And we need this as we go forward. But listen, you guys, thank you, Dom. Thank you, Shay. Thank you for Charlie. Thank you for your heart to step up with this. It's a wonderful day, isn't it? And listen, thank you for loving them, loving me, Patty. You're welcome to us. Uh, we're excited. Pray that nothing ever, ever sneaks in or even streaks in, uh, even announced to... Um, to threaten us.